0: This morning, we are going to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, looking at what it means to follow Jesus. But I want to think about it in the context of Advent. We know that Advent means coming. This is the season where we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into our world. And I don't know about you, but... One of the beauties of Advent to me, I was thinking about this this past Thursday as I was uh, leading chapel at a at a local uh school and and, and reading the Christmas story to some preschoolers and kindergartners uh, as I was telling the story, I was just struck by the sheer wonder and awe of the Christmas story and if you're familiar with it, you know the the story of angelic messengers that show up to people like Zechariah and Mary proclaiming that God is now fulfilling all of his promises to bring his Savior Messiah into the world. We, of course, have the teenage girl Mary who hears this news that she is going to give birth to God's Savior. Then you hear the story of the traveling wise men coming hundreds of miles to present gifts to this newborn king. And even as the children read for us this morning and and shared scriptures, uh, we, we discover that Jesus was a king, but we can hardly believe our ears when we find that this king was born in a stable. This king is perfectly righteous and yet shockingly humble. This king who people expected would set up an earthly kingdom by force, force taking the lives of his enemies, actually gives his life for his enemies to set up his forever kingdom. This is amazing, amazing news. And we find that he does all of this by being the baby who was born a king a baby who was born as king, who was ultimately born to die. You and I both know this, that everyone who lives one day will die. Every every human being who was born will one day eventually die, but not everyone was born to die. But this points us to the mission of the Messiah, Jesus Christ comes into this world with a mission, and his mission is fulfilled. It climaxes with his death, and then as we'll look at next week, his resurrection. But I want us to zoom in this week from Mark chapter 15 on the death of Jesus Christ. Because what I want you to consider this morning is this. Yes, Christmas stands alone in its own right in terms of the the sheer wonder and awe that it produces. But if we are going to truly understand the wonder of Christmas, we cannot separate it from the entirety of the life of Christ. What I'm saying is this, if we want to truly be captivated by the fullness of the wonder of Christmas, we need to understand the wonder and amazement of Jesus' death and his crucifixion. And so the encouragement that I want to give you today, my my hope and my prayer for you is this, is that you would be amazed by King Jesus— who died as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Be amazed by King Jesus, who died as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. As we come to Mark chapter 15, we've made it now to Friday morning. We've heard the past couple of weeks how Jesus was Betrayed and abandoned and falsely accused and unjustly arrested. And now he is being brought before Roman authorities to see to his death. That's where we pick up in Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 41. So put your listening ears on and hear the word of God. It says this And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from, for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, And the ascription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were with him, cru- crucified with him, also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama Sabagdani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that he died in this way and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. As we receive and process this chapter together, we see three magnificent truths of the crucifixion of Jesus that should amaze us this morning. We see that Jesus fulfilled God's plan, that Jesus suffered in our place, and that Jesus opened a door for us to worship God. The first encouragement I have for you this morning is this, and we see this throughout the story that we just read, that we should be amazed by King Jesus fulfilling God's plan in his death. Mark shows us the complex answer to the simple question, who killed Jesus? Throughout this chapter, we see this interplay between the Jewish leaders and authorities, and then the Roman authorities with the governor over the area of Jerusalem, Pilate. And we, we see in verse 1 that the Jewish leaders were moving quickly in the morning because history tells us that Pilate would have only heard cases between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. And they wanted to make sure that Jesus was crucified before the Sabbath started, which was at sundown. And so, in order to make their case before Pilate, it tells us in verse four that they brought many charges against Jesus, many accusations, seeking to find one that Pilate would hear. Oh, yeah, this man deserves death. And so they talk about it, as Pastor John t- taught us last week, how that they 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 falsely accused Jesus of saying he would destroy the temple, which he didn't say, I will destroy the temple, but he said, Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it. In three days talking about his own life and pointing to his future resurrection. And so they talk about his, they, 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 they say that he is going to, to plot to destroy the temple, but then they bring up probably blasphemy, that Jesus was a blasphemer, and this would have meant nothing to Pilate because as a pluralistic Roman, he cared very little for their religious views. But then ultimately, they get to the one that Pilate would have paid attention to as a good Roman governor. And that was the charge of treason. They they said that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. And if this were, were true, it would amount to treason against Rome. And so Pilate begins to press in on this claim. He asked Jesus in verse 2, Are you the king of the Jews? And notice how Jesus answers. We saw an explicit answer to the high priest the night before in chapter 14, verse 62, where the high priest asked, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. But now, notice that Jesus, before Pilate, says what? He says, you have said so. This is neither a strong affirmation that he is the king of the Jews, nor is it a strong denial that he is the king of the Jews. So we ask, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is Implying that he is a king, but he is not the kind of king that would seek to overthrow the Romans. No, even as John tells us in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus tells Pilate there, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate is clearly astonished by Jesus' response. And so he asks him again in verse four, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus, as we saw last week, displays the prophecy found 700 years before in Isaiah 53 verse seven, where it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Who killed Jesus? We see here that ultimately, Pilate has the authority over the, the jurisdiction of Jerusalem so that he has the power and ultimately hands Jesus over to death, as it clearly tells us in verse 15. It says, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And yet, verses 9, 12, and 14 show us how Pilate was trying to release Jesus time and again because he could perceive his innocence. He tries to to release him. Hey, you have a tradition where I will release one criminal to you. How about I release the king of the Jews? And yet the chief priests stir up the crowd and they say, no, crucify this man, crucify Jesus. And so, yes, the Romans are in part responsible for the death of Jesus because it was the Romans who put him to death and crucified him on the tree but certainly the Jews were behind it. They were the ones who schemed. Pilate could even read through their motives. In verse 10, it says that he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up to them. Which I just have to pause and say this. If if it was out of envy that the Jewish leaders delivered the son of God, the innocent son of God into the hands of people who would, put him to death, what a warning for us to look at the envy of our own hearts and to say, God, please take every speck of envy. I don't know about you, but I think, yeah, I struggle with envy at times. I'm sure you do as well. That we would say, God, take this envy out of my heart, for this was the very sin that led to the death of your son. So we see that the the Romans were in part responsible. The Jews were in part responsible. But as we peer a little closer at the story, we see that Jesus here is willingly laying down his own life as he moves to the cross. We see this in his silence, that he willingly accepts condemnation. He's willingly enduring what lies ahead in the cross because this was his mission all along. We know that the key verse in the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus there himself says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I came to give my life for people to know God. In John chapter 10, three different times, he calls himself the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. But it's not just Jesus voluntarily giving up his life for us, but it is God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who planned out our redemption, because he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to spend this life or eternal life separated from him, but he planned out the way that he would save humanity, which would involve the death of his own son. We see this prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, where it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of God the Father to crush his own son. And so as we consider this story, as we consider the death of Jesus and what is happening here in his crucifixion, we need to understand that this is the promised plan of God. If we were to take the 39 books of the Old Testament and we were to pull all the promises together that God makes, and he makes hundreds of promises. Listen, if every promise were a road. All of the roads would lead to the city of Jesus. They're all fulfilled in him. And we see this throughout the life of Christ. We see it in his coming. Just think about all of the Christmas promises that we have. The prophecies of Jesus being born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Check. That the Messiah would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 14, again, check. Born of the line of David, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, check. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2, check. All of these prophecies uh, that concern the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, hundreds of years before, they are all fulfilled in the arrival of the Son of God. Jesus Christ. But as sure as there are promises concerning his arrival, there are also promises concerning his departure and death. Just listen to these from the Old Testament, and I will give you where they are found in this story that we just read. Number one, Psalm 69, verse 21. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. We saw that in verse 23. Psalm 22, 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We saw that in verse 24. Isaiah 53, verse 12, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. We saw that in verse 27 as he's uh, crucified between two thieves. Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. We see this in verses 29 through 32. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Psalm 22, verse 16, fulfilled in verse 24. Amos 8, 9 says this, and on that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Fulfilled in verse 33 and finally Psalm 22, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Jesus said it himself in verse 34. Listen, let's not suppose that this death of Christ was anything other than the promised plan of God. If you ask me why I'm a believer, it's not only because I see my need for Jesus and I know that there is some jacked up stuff in my life that I need corrected and I've not only offended the people around me, but I've offended God himself. Listen, I know my personal need for God, but I also know I'm smart enough to see that there are hundreds of promises that have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and you will not find that in any other religion of the world, any other worldview. There is only one God. There is only one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Who killed Jesus? Jesus willingly gave his life as the fulfillment of the Father's plan. But we ask the question, why did he do it? And that question leads us to the second point of amazement for us. Number two, listen, we should be amazed by King Jesus suffering in our place as the forsaken Son of God. Be amazed by King Jesus suffering in our place as the forsaken Son of God. God, as we read through this story, no no matter how many times we have heard it, we should be horrified by what we hear. You see, death by crucifixion was intended to inflict maximum torture and physical suffering. We should feel the gravity of these moments as Jesus endures the worst kind of suffering a human being could experience. And the Romans understood this so well that one of their own lawyers and orators named Cicero said this about crucifixion. He says, the very word cross should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, in other words, This is the last thing that a Roman citizen should ever experience. We should want one of our own citizens to experience. But now listen to this. He says, but it should also be removed from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. This is how despicable and humiliating and torturous the cross was for anyone who was crucified And then we consider that Jesus, the very Son of God, experienced death in our place like this. Before crucifixion, they made criminals undergo a judicial penalty known as scourging. Verse 15 says it, that Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Scourging was a severe lashing where Roman soldiers would take a whip of leather with pieces of bone and metal in it and whip the criminal, sometimes to their death. Sometimes a criminal didn't even make it to the cross because the scourging would be so bad that it would take their very life. William Lane, New Testament scholar, says, no maximum number of strokes was prescribed by Roman law and men condemned to scourging frequently collapsed and died. But not Jesus. And so in verses 16 through 19, we see that before the soldiers lead him away to be crucified, they take opportunity to shame, humiliate, and mock him. Their mocking centered around this this charge of him being treasonous by claiming to be the king of the Jews. And so verse 17, it says that they clothed him in a purple cloak, and they dress him up in a crown of thorns and press it into his head. Verse 18 says, they salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they begin to bow down in homage to him, just mocking him, finding every way they can to mock him. They would have been professional mockers. They knew how to make a person feel absolutely like the scum of the earth before they crucified him. Jesus' physical suffering was beyond the ability for our minds to imagine how horrible it was. But the physical suffering of Jesus, the Son of God, pales in comparison to the spiritual suffering he faced on that Good Friday. The emotional and spiritual suffering Jesus would face on the cross is seen in so many ways. We can first consider the emotional humiliation he endured. It's likely that Jesus was crucified naked. Verse 24 tells us, they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It's clear that he died between two criminals. Verse 27 tells us that, that the man who only did good for his entire life dies for crimes he did not commit. But then we see those in the crowd mock him in verses 29 29. Through 30, they say, hey, you saved others, Jesus. Why don't you save yourself? If you're the Christ, the king of Israel, come down now. And oh, if you come down now, we will believe. Which probably for most of them was not true because Jesus would tell a parable himself about a rich man and Lazarus. And the end of the story, basically, Jesus says, hey, listen, don't think that if someone comes back from the dead that you're going to believe because of the hardness of your heart. You need God to show you how real I am and give you faith to believe. But the greatest emotional pain stems from the spiritual suffering Jesus endured. As he hung there, struggling to breathe, experiencing likely death by asphyxiation, that means death by suffocation, verse 34 tells us as he has nails in his hands and his feet, he cries out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi Lemma Sabatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, for the very first time, just as he had experienced abandonment from his closest followers, now for the first time in his eternal relationship with God the Father experiences separation and abandonment. This, this cry from the lips of Jesus clue us in on why he went to the cross and why the Father had to turn his face away from Jesus in his dying moments. I hope you know the, the truth of the cross today. I hope you have received the greatest gift in the cross today. Listen, the greatest gift of Christmas is the gift of Jesus Christ, and the gift of Jesus Christ would not be the, the gift that we all need and long for if not for the cross of Christ. You see, I got a, a priest for a minute. I, I, it hit me in the song. Thank you, Pedro and team. Okay. Listen. In in Christmas, and I've heard this before, so this is not original. Okay, God just reminded me of it this this morning. Okay, in Christmas, we celebrate what? Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God God came to be with us. He took on our flesh. He experienced all of our pain and suffering and sorrow. And and he uh, lived an earthly life among us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But in the cross... On Good Friday, what we see is God not simply with us, but God with us and God for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus suffered in our place. And if you have never heard this, let me tell you, as I heard as a a middle school kid, one, one preacher said, listen, when Jesus died on the cross, you were on his mind. He died for you. He died for the sin of the world. He died because we have been separated from God in our rejection of him. And we needed someone to bridge the gap. We needed someone to take our place, to, to take on the... The penalty and the judgment that we deserve. Listen, 1 Peter 2 24 tells it like this He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus took on your sin and my sin when he died on the cross. 1 Peter 3 18 tells us why he did it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might. Bring us to God. You see, in the moments as Jesus is bleeding and, and crying out and dying, He is dying in our place. He is taking on our sin. He is suffering where we should have died for our sin. He is dying in our place. And as God the Father, who is perfect in His holiness, He cannot look on the evil that is present in his son's life as he suffers on the cross. And so Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is, because I am so holy that I can't look upon the sin that you are bearing. My sin and your sin. And so we should be amazed this morning, listen, that Jesus died as our substitute. Jesus, the son of God, died that we might become the sons and the daughters of God. Jesus died our death that we might now live his life. Jesus took our shame so that we could get the joy. Jesus endured the chaos so that we could receive peace. Jesus experience separation so that we could experience reconciliation. Jesus was forsaken so that we might be welcomed home. And this leads us to the third reason we have to be amazed here this morning. Listen to this. Be amazed by King Jesus because he opened the door for us to worship God be amazed by King Jesus because he opened the door for us to worship God. You see, the death of Jesus was marked by darkness. Verse 33 says, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. But then at that ninth hour, it tells us possibly moments later in verse 37 that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. This is almost certainly the same cry that is recorded in the gospel of John chapter 19 verse 10 where Jesus cries out one word in the Greek, three words in English, which means it is finished. And you say, Pastor Tanner, what is finished? The, the, the work of his mission was finished. The work of atonement was finished. You say, Pastor Tanner, that's a theological word. What does it mean? Atonement mean? It means that Jesus, in his death, covered over our sin by becoming the sacrifice for us in our place as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That work was finished on the cross. What else was finished? The work of salvation is done. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. What else was finished? I'll tell you what else. The plans of the evil one. Because Jesus tells us, he said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil wants to keep every one of us away from God. He wants to keep our neighbors, our classmates, our friends, our family. He wants to do whatever it takes. He wants to distract us with a thousand toys at Christmas and our phones and whatever it is so that we might be separated from God forever. And Jesus came to destroy that work. I love what Pastor John, how he started the service. He said, he quoted John chapter 15, verse 11, where Jesus says, I came that they may have joy and that their joy might be complete. That work was finished on the cross. And what else was finished? God's plan, his grand plan of redemption. You see, as soon as Adam and Eve fell, as soon as they sinned against God, God had a plan. He always had a plan. He, He foresaw how that the people that he loved and created to have this unbroken, intimate relationship with him would turn away, choose their own wisdom, do their own thing, and that the consequence of that sin would not just be physical death one day, but it would be spiritual death apart from his grace reaching down and picking us back up. But God had a plan that though the enemy, Satan, represented in the serpent, uh, deceived Adam and Eve and demises. He works for our demise. Listen, in Genesis 3 verse 15, he says that there will be an offspring of a woman and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And yes, I talked about this last uh, Christmas season that I wish I had an ornament that showed a heel crushing the serpent's head and one of our members somehow, I don't know how she did it, but she made me that ornament and it's going from my shelf this afternoon to our tree this uh, after, uh, afternoon. Parker, remind me of that because that, that, that ornament needs to be on the tree. So, so, so this, this grand plan from the very beginning that was promised to the very first people when they turned away from God, now it is all being fulfilled in Jesus Christ so much so that the final chapters of the Bible that tell us what is to come say this in Revelation 5, verses 9 through 14. Just listen to this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Yes, we love the world that is in Boston and we love the entire world. Everyone needs to know this good news. Verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth forever. But the praise doesn't stop there with the 24 elders. It says in verse 11 that he looked and he heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But it doesn't stop there. It then says that he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What does this mean for us? What does it mean that The sinless son of God becomes the lamb of God who dies in our place so that we can be reconciled to God. Well, we find another clue in verse 38. Check this out. I'm gonna read 37 again. It says, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And then what happens? Check out verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is referring to the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the curtain of the most holy place kept people out because that represented the very presence and glory of God. That if you came in there unannounced and not invited, that you would likely die. And so only one time, once a year, the high priest would go in there, it says that they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died in the presence of the Lord they could pull him out that's how that's how serious we're talking about the holiness of God don't treat your sin nor the holiness of God lightly please don't do it but it says that this this curtain which had kept the the worshipers out from the from the very presence and the glory of God where the high priest would go in to make atonement for the people's sin and sprinkle blood on the the ark, that now that curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was torn in two. And what that is telling us is this, listen, God is now made a way. He has given us access. He has opened up his arms to welcome us in to his holy presence through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, because of Jesus, everyone who believes in his name has access. Yes, God is so approachable to enter into the very presence of God. In our response, our response to this opportunity of God, the Father, opening his arms must be one of worship. Our response must be to pursue intimacy with God every single day. Our response must be love for him and love for one another because, oh, by the way, Jesus says, you don't really love me if you don't love each other. And this truth is captured for us in the words of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And I hope you'll hear these words and receive them as what now, what do we do in light of this death of Jesus? on our behalf. Be amazed by what is offered to us through the death of Christ. This is what the writer says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, hello, cross, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, here it is, draw near. Let us draw near. Listen, don't think just when 2021 is over that we're going to shift our focus from one million minutes with God. Because we, we've, been, we've been saying that this year we just want to pour prayer and time and energy into spending focus, face-to-face time with God. Why? Because there is no more important relationship in our life than our relationship with God. And you cultivate relationship by spending time together, right? And so because Jesus has made a way, now we can draw near and draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Not on the basis of what we've done, how good we are, no, but with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, referring to the blood of Christ shed for us, sprinkling our evil conscience and our baptism, which symbolizes the cleansing that we have received through His death. But that's not all. it goes on, and it says this: Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised. Is faithful, and we surely have seen that today. But then look at this it says, And let us consider, think about how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In light of the death of Jesus Christ, we have. The infinitely profound and eternal privilege to draw near to God. And not just to draw near to God in such a way that we love him above everything and everyone in our lives, but to so love him that his love transforms us and it transforms the way that we love one another. This is the beauty of the coming of Christ. This is what we ultimately celebrate during Christmas, that the baby who was born a king was the baby who was born to die. And he died in our place so that we might be brought back into a relationship with God through his great love. And so what I want to do is this. I want to pray in the, in the music. team's going to come up and lead us in a song of response and reflection. But listen, if you have never, listen to my voice today, please. If you have never, if you're in the room online, it doesn't matter. If you have never received the gift of Jesus, where you know that God has saved you because you have placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection, the gift that God offers you through Jesus, then do not please, do not leave this place today without saying, God, I see what you've done for me. I know that I need you. I believe in who Jesus is and what he's done. And I commit my life to live for you. Listen, if that's you, I just want to encourage you. Say that to God in your own words right now. And then let us know so that we can pray for you and walk with you in your new journey with Jesus. Let's all pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for an opportunity in the Christmas season, perhaps a little bit unexpected, but most certainly beneficial and so helpful spiritually for us to reflect that Jesus who came as a baby was the king who was born to die. And Father, we ask that we would be amazed. God, amaze us. showing Show us how amazing your love is, that the perfect, innocent, Son of God, would suffer in our place that we might have life, life now and life forever with you. And God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit in the mysterious ways that you work, God, that you would draw hearts to you right now, that you would speak to people's hearts right now and say, this is for you. God, that you would tap some people on the shoulder, Lord, that that, that whatever it is that you need to do, God, that you would show them, hey, this is for you. And you need to say yes to Jesus. And Father, surely speak to all of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, and help us see that this is still for us and that we get to love you with everything we've got because of your great love, we pray in Jesus' name.